The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 218 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and a couple extra tidbits coming your way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst you can find at MMAJunkie.com, and as well, five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But on this program, this morning, today, tonight... Whenever you're listening to it, hopefully before the fights, we're going to be breaking down UFC 218. Uh, No tough finale. This is actually being recorded and released the morning of the tough finale. Usually, um, it is recorded, uh, the Protecting Night podcast here, at least our previews and breakdowns, uh, recorded Thursday, Thursday night. And actually, part of the podcast, which is a special section if you saw the show notes, uh, was recorded last night. Um, we're we're, we're going to be having a special guest, which I'll, I'll, I'll get to here in a second. I'm just going to knock off uh, some notes at the top. And since this is being recorded a little late, uh, I'm going to expedite it and uh, you know not talk as much. Oh, he always says that. Shut up. Get back in your hole. All right. Yeah, anyways, I'm not going to be talking as much as it's going to be a little expedited, I promise, actually, uh, li- literally. I um, was going to do it last night. Uh, after the crazy just night of uh, of getting things done, and again, not so much of a procrastination, just more of a managing the passions and whatnot. Uh, we had the new format that came this week. Hopefully, y'all like that. It seemed to be really well received. I like it. It actually does help my workload. But you know, Dan Tommy always has to go above the extra mile when he doesn't have to. So I kind of put a little extra on myself this week. Hence, why everything kind of got backed up. Um, to last night to where, well, damn time, I don't know if it was a lack of sleep, the extra amount of coffee, because I, you know, I've been straight edge pretty much my whole life without soda or caffeine, and now I'm been drinking caffeine like an addict since I've <laughs> since I jumped to this side of the, uh, this side of the cage, but, um, but goddamn, I was having like heart palpitations, I don't know, I think so, it was like pressure in my heart, uh, odd heartbeat, um, just feeling kind of funny and nauseous at certain points, but that could be a lot of things, especially with Dan Tom's history, and, yeah, I will say a little weird numbness kind of in the left arm. That's like heart attack shit, right? Anyways, I'm probably fine. <laughs> just just a couple unregistered strokes old Dan Tom had, but hey, if anything, if anything happens to me, at least at least there is now record of it in the Protect Your Neck podcast. Well, on episodes 50 through 60, he was complaining about heart palpitations. Yeah, 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 but on episodes 1 through 60, he was just crazy as all of them. That is true. That is true. All right, anyways, Jesus, I hope that's not the autopsy report and these are the fucking tapes left of me. But hey, let's get to the fucking business here. Um, on today's show, we're going to get to my man, Jordan Fiegelman. He is a uh, he's a professional uh, fantasy player. He does many things. That's why I'm a little hesitant to say it, but he makes his living off that. Um, that's how I know him from. And uh, as Dan Tom, you know... Uh, with DraftKings, you know, being assholes apparently and just not really giving me the give, even give, like responding to any of their emails, whether you're doing it through customer service, through their actual press portals or anything else, they've been really bad about that. And uh, Las Vegas has really stupid gaming laws. So, anyways, last year it's been really tough for old Dan Tom to even get lines. I, 
Uh, forget playing. I'm cool with that. I, I keep up with the rules and regulations and all that. Um, and part of that is in due part to help with, you know, actual, uh, pros that I know through shout out to junkie nation. Again, one of the many things is great about junkie nation meeting awesome people, but, um, just helpful, awesome people that are just more than willing to give their time and expertise to, to help you, uh, whether that's, uh, through advice, which I finally am getting on the show here uh, in this segment we're about to get to, and for, like I was kind of hinting to behind the scenes, he, he helps feed me lines so I can actually put together my articles, which you can find on MMA Junkie. Now, I come at it from everything, of course, from my own unique um, analysis standpoint, but Dan Tom's the first to admit there's much better people when it comes to gaming, gambling, and fantasy sports. Jordan is one of them, so... Um, you know, I, I mean to catch up with him. I, I don't think it's, or I don't know if it's going to be a regular thing, I should say. I'm going to put that in your guys' hands. As you know, in the Protect Your Neck podcast, the lunatics run the asylum. So uh, shout out to me at, at Dan Tom MMA or at the PYM podcast or uh, Jordan, which I'm going to plug him here in the segment enough for you. Shout out to him. Let us know what you think. I, I want to personally have him on for the big shows at least. Um, I just I just know fantasy is a very big thing. There, there are... Um, Plenty of shows, which I'm going to shout out here in a second, that do cover fantasy on their regular. Um, so it, it's not so much of a, a keeping up with the Joneses, which, yes, is a part of our business and whatnot. But even though Dan Tom likes to, you know, say he only has seven audience members, I'm, I'm finding out that people actually fucking listen to this thing. So I want to actually give you guys the best well-rounded um Diverse opinions as possible, which is hard when you have a lunatic like myself who fucking hogs the mic. So uh, this was this was this was a refreshing change to get uh, to get Jordan on on the show. Um, and before just before I get to him, I'm just gonna finish up these notes real quick. Um, this is how, how quick the recap's gonna be, even quicker than normal. Because in my defense, I actually do the recaps pretty fucking quick, unless I do a whole show dedicated to it. But UFC Shanghai, all the talking points have been talked about. I will say the highlights of old Dan Tom because I was sharing the stories. And by the way, thank you guys for those of you who enjoyed those stories. I, I enjoyed sharing them. I'm glad that episode for a card that was shit. And again, these things only have like a evergreen level, uh, you know, window of average 24 to 28 hours when I record and release these. To get so much feedback from it was 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 really awesome. But uh, if you did listen to the episode, which at least the first half, you actually there's, there's still some funny stories that that aren't. You know, so much that that are actually kind of evergreen. You can keep, still listen to, but uh, I posted some pictures, by the way, and thanks for the the the, 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 the likes and comments on those. Hopefully, I'm, I didn't post the two embarrassing ones, which maybe I will. But um, as I referenced to kung fu movies and was referencing a lot of those kung fu movies on the podcast, some of the fighters from Shanghai actually came out to those songs. So. If you, you know, go back to my tweets, uh, old Dan Tom was losing his shit, like the teenage boy in him was coming out. They had the Wong Fei Hong theme, which is real similar to the Drunken Master theme, which is what Zhao uh, Nan Yan came out to in fucking Best Walkout goes to her. Oh, I was going fucking crazy. There's the UFC Shanghai breakdown. You like that? And uh, just as fast, we, we, we talk about it a little. We talk about a lot of the points on the UFC 218 card in this next segment here with Jordan. We do a fantasy run-through. Um, which is just another reason why this breakdown is going to be shorter, or I, it can be shorter, because a lot of the points are going to be covered here. Um, but uh, essentially, tough finale. I hate to admit this because shout out to Emily Whitner. Emily Whitmer, my girl, my friend, uh, over at Extreme Couture, a training partner. I remember her coming as an amateur, coming down as an amateur from uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, and just just a hard worker and uh, 
you know, no bullshit, not relying on any any bullshit politics or not being a you know fake person. She's a real nice person, real hard worker, uh, real passionate about the sport. So so happy just to see her even make it on the show to even be wearing UFC gloves. Very happy for her. But even with that, Dan Tom is such a uh, bad at watching Ultimate Fighter unless it's part of my job. Which even it kind of is when I have to break down certain fights from it. In which I would only, when I would do that in the past, by the way, uh, on past tough breakdowns, I would go and just watch the fight portion, obviously. I would skip all the menial drama and production stuff. I'm not into that. I'm not a reality show person. I'm not. I'm not in playing the UFC video game. I'm not in any of these. I'm not in a video, you know, okay, unless it's Counter-Strike we're talking about. Yeah. Um, that was a long time ago, Dan. Put it away. No more Counter Strike. All right, uh, but you know, uh, Dan Tom's can just stays away from the kerfluffing and all the all the bright lights and all that shit. I just like the fights, and even that, I just kind of, I'm worn out of the product. Okay, and, and I'm not trying to hate on it. And there's the end of that diatribe. I haven't watched a tough since. My favorite tough is Tough Seven, I believe. That was with Amir Sadala and Matt Brown. That was an awesome fucking series. But the last one I actually watched was the heavyweight one with Kimbo. Put it that way. And Dan Tom's like a serial killer when it comes to watching fights, right? And even me, I'm like, eh. So I didn't watch it. And then even you know was talking with the editors, and they you know they actually gave me gave me the option because usually they'll at least put one right. They'll put one tasty fight on top to get you to watch like the. You know, Justin Gaethje, uh, Michael Johnson, you know, we're going to talk about Justin Gaethje later. But, you know, that, that was, you know, they'll, they'll put something there. They'll put some matchups in throughout. And, and this was rough, man. The best matchup is probably like, what, John Soto. Um, and it, it was tough, man. So, I mean, uh, you know, I, I had my eyes on a Tarion wearing Soto as underdogs. But I'm, I may still play uh, where, um, but... You know, we had John's in the studio at MMA Junkie Radio this week. By the way, great interview. Dude, it's fucking so charismatic. Like, you can tell in interviews, but in person, it really comes through. It just, you know, he's spot on with the references because, like me, like you, like many, uh, this guy's a fat, he's passionate about the sport and he's a fan. Uh, he, he He's right there with the references and the jokes and he's not afraid to spit them out, um, which is always great to have a sense of humor in life, but especially as a fighter, it's very tough. A lot of these guys are very sensitive chips on their shoulders as they should be as I do as I understand but John's really awesome and aside from that personality wise there is a lot to like about a fighter I mean the, the hype is not for no reason uh, whether you're on him or not um, I, again I don't know the ceiling but the hype is justified for what that's worth um, he's a very well rounded guy it's just the problem was the transition game that makes his, John's game work gets gets kind of fuzzy because that transition involves grappling and grappling transitions is where Joe Soto not so much anymore. He's reminding people, you know, he's doing, you know, he did the, those EBIs, I believe, and then his recent submission wins have kind of got his skills back into the lexicon. But I don't know if it was him coming from Bellator, not being as known uh, for the work before the UFC or anything like that, and then his knockout losses. For tough matchups, some last minute. But yeah, his, his skill and value just went down. And Joe Soto's, you know, for those who've been paying attention, has been a good, um, you know, good dog to take those fun shots on. You know, uh, I did so with, uh, well, I think I used actually my official pick as well, even though he's probably on the avoid list, even though I officially picked him. But I, I still played him because he was my pick. We're against uh, Ronnie Yaya. And, um, and uh, guy, I can't think of the fights before. They're, they're skipping. Anyways, but uh, but yeah, um, not much there. Uh, Mearshart, uh, Spicely, you know, Spicely's live because, you know, I'm a fan of Mearshart, but... 
He's a veteran, but that, that, that Tiago Santos loss does leave a bad taste, and it wasn't that long ago. And the fact that Mearshart, again, what makes his game so good, is not the best wrestler per se, but the fact that he has a transition game and those those weird grappling transitions and scrambles where he thrives in, it kind of can set him apart, which is why guys like me who can appreciate or kind of see those games will play him in certain spots, but not in a spot where he's facing a guy who... They have different games. They don't have the same game, but as far as that, that spot that I just highlighted, that weird transition kind of crafty thing, that that's, that's Spicely's world too, so immediately that makes for a weird fucking matchup. Um, O'Malley still has a lot to prove. He he's not doesn't appear to be the the, the wrestling threat that traditionally uh, troubles a guy with Ware who has kind of the incomplete game. Um, you know he he's really I'm I'm, I'm really fan of his hands. You know and 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 really fan of his composure. He really does have that veteran savvy that's kind of well beyond his ears and, and on paper experience. Ware does, but. Uh, hard to say with confidence, but uh, and Sanchez versus James, just a weird matchup there. I like Sanchez, but you know he gets tired. Um, there are criticisms of a chin, but I, I still want to see more before I, I throw my criticisms there. And James is just on paper one of the, you know the lower bottom tier fighters in any division, but can overperform and make fights really weird, which make him. Deceptively tough, if that makes any sense. Anyways, this is the first fight where I didn't do any official picks, any official literature on since I started in the summer of 2015. That's right. Even when I would cut short, do a main event with picks and play, I would always do the picks, plays, and at least a main event in depth, right? That at the bare minimum. I've always done something. You witnessed it. I talked about it. I've talked shit. I talked shit. I finally missed one. I finally missed it. All right, there's your preview for the Tough 26 finale. All right, now with no further ado, as the music is playing, probably some talking heads, this must be the place. Let's get to my man Jordan Fiegelman for some DraftKings run-through for UFC 218 this weekend. What's up? And we're here with my man, Jordan Fiegelman, at Orda Nation Sports. Drop the O-O-R-D-A Nation Sports. He is a professional not a professional fantasy player, uh, a, a jack-of-all-trades. You can also find him, nationofpodcasts.com. I'm going to let him talk to you about that uh, in one second. That also is on Twitter, at the underscore nation of. They're on iTunes. All that good stuff, just like this show. I'll let him talk to you about that show. We're going to talk about fantasy and much others. What's up, Jordan? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me on, bro. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited to, uh, to talk some MMA, man. Yeah, definitely, man. We were just chatting a little bit there, uh, and, and it was good. I was like, it was just kind of flowing. So I'm like, hey, let's, let, 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 let's go live. Let's save it for the pod, and, and let's get right into this, man. Just like Rush Limbaugh, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of irrelevant things, uh, <laughs> uh, let, just to touch on it and get it, get it out of the way, um, I, I, I not as I kind of was touching on the top of the show, as I'm sure my audience heard before this, I, I, I did not actually do, a, like the first time, like two and a half years, did not do any literature, any analysis on the, uh, the, the tough finale card, because you know, it's such a strong card, and I'm going to get your opinions out here on a, on a second, but, uh, but, um, but yeah, essentially, I, I'm sure I already touched on my opinions by this point for the audience, so I, I, I'll keep it short, um, I, I don't have anything there, I don't even know if DraftKings has lineups or anything like that, 
Um, as an MMA fan, degenerate uh, as you are, do you have any opinions on that that card? You know, man, so I, I am a degenerate, like you said. I was playing some European basketball this morning at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Uh, <laughs> yes, my yes. dog was like, yo, let's go for a walk. I was like, hey, chill. You know, take your time, bro. Uh, so w- a couple of things about Daily Fantasy MMA, right? It's uh, not as big as, you know, football and basketball. Obviously, the prize pools are you know, not as big. They're they're not small. Like the this one contest they're doing this week this week is eight dollar eight dollar entry, a prize pool of one hundred twenty thousand dollars. You know, it's pretty pretty substantial. But for football, obviously, you're in the million dollar range. What makes it worse is that when you have ancillary cards like you know the Ultimate Fighter, you're only going to get the hardcore of the hardcore, and the prize pools are going to be smaller. So you get yourself in a situation where uh, different to betting. You know, on the on the other side is. You get points for trying, and you don't want to compete against difficult competition if you don't have to. So when you're playing in smaller field contests like that, these ancillary contests, people aren't – only hardcore people are playing that, people that are doing work. You want you want people to say, hey, yeah, I like this guy. You know, he trains at a gym in my city. You know, this guy's cool. I like – I used to like his shorts, et cetera, you know, and – the fact is, on Friday, you're not going to get that. You're going to get that much less than you will on Saturday. I like that you say that because you know, uh, obviously, I, I I do a fantasy article myself, but in no way do I consider myself a pro. Self admittedly, sure. I'm more like like kind of with all my work, people familiar. I take my analysis, my unique angle, and try to apply it. Um, try to try to apply it there, but. You're hitting on a theme here that I think transfers from fantasy uh, to gaming as far as popularity goes because I think that's a major tool for us hardcore degenerates, right? Because let's be honest, the information age is so easy to pick up on how to do all this stuff these days that the bookmakers, the number setters, uh, you know, uh, the, the the fellow degenerates, I think everybody everybody has a really good sense. Even if they're off, they're, they're, it's really, you know, by fight week, everybody's kind of adjusting their steering wheel. They know where to put their money. They know where to put their picks, right? So a lot of times, like you're saying, it comes down to the popularity, the general plop, and kind of playing those waves with the tide uh, to, to, to pick your spots. Are we kind of hitting on the same same thing here? Yeah, totally. And just to go on that a little further, one thing that's really awesome about DFS and compared to, to you know standard gaming, in my opinion at least, obviously. And you know, one thing about MMA in, in in specific is that it's not as broken as NBA and NFL are, and even PGA and baseball to an extent. People, these are very analytics and stat-driven sports that have you know very advanced modeling tech, technologies, basically that give us a lot of inputs. With MMA. It's a lot of feel. That's why someone like you really comes into play. You know, you said you didn't do any analysis, any any literature. Trust me, I know because I wanted to brush up, and I was, you know, I was like main event and co-major. That's all I got. That's all I got. What's going on? Uh, you know, whatever though. So, but with MMA, I'm always looking to get better because, I, self-admittedly, it's probably one of my weaker sports. You know, because it's so. It's so variant, and it's it's tough on, during NFL season. It's it gets really difficult to you know follow a Saturday card unless it's something that's really substantial. Because Sunday morning, I'm getting up really early for NFL, right? And now yeah, with NBA, yeah. it's a constant cycle. But yeah, one thing that I just to close up on these odds, this odds conversation is that DraftKings re, and FanDuel, whatever sites you use, 
use a lot of Vegas data baked, baked into their projections and their pricing models. So when a card is launched, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it is, that pricing for those fighters are based on the current odds. Things change in that period. For football, it could be a running back getting hurt in practice. For for uh, MMA, it could be a fighter having a bad weight cut, something along those lines, right? Something you see at the stare downs, whatever it could be. But prices don't change for DraftKings. They can't. They're locked in. So that's where we come in, try to find some arbitrage. You know what I'm saying? Nice. No, no, 100%, man, definitely. And and, and, and by the way, uh, my uh, my format actually changed this week. Uh, I think actually my breakdown with the, with the picks for 218 and, and all that stuff, it, it should be dropping now as we're recording this. Uh, we're recording Thursday night, the usual night where I record the Protect Your Neck podcast, and we'll kind of be sprinkling the main and co-main. But, but yeah, my fantasy section that we're talking about now and betting and all that, that's going to drop on Friday. And the good thing is, obviously, it's so hard to keep up week to week, even within just MMA. So I completely hear your sentiment. I could not imagine, Jordan, having to do other sports, basketball, football. Um, I used to follow basketball, too, and, and I know you do your work. I mean, you're not just watching basketball. We just we talked about the, the Eastern European, whatever, <laughs> Zagreb, whatever whatever the fuck you're yeah. in Croatia you're watching over there. Uh-huh. But, uh, but, but yeah, man, it, 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 is really, it is really tough to get through. That's why, you know, I, I, I left it barren for the tough finale card. I didn't do a... You know, I didn't do a single thing, and uh, it, no, that, that that's a great conversation. So I guess putting that tough finale card to bed, uh, I am going to touch on some matchups. I may have already touched on them before or after for the listeners now, but uh, that'll be a separate segment. I guess we'll just move on to 218. That's, that's the card worth talking about because in the UFC's defense, I think this is – at least, I, 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 may I speak for you, Jordan? And you can correct me if I'm wrong. This is a card that's on your that's got to be on your radar, right? Compared to what oh, we're totally, hundred percent. I mean, really tough to follow up two seventeen, obviously, right? Uh, but we've had this slight lull in between. We've had some great fights in between then, but now you know we, the heavy hitters are here. Even though we've lost Edgar, we have you know Aldo in the mix. We got you know probably the fight that I'm looking forward to the most, Justin Gagey versus Eddie Alvarez, Watterson Torres. It like, it goes on and on. And a fight that I really think is a sleeper fight. I want to, I'm really curious to know what you think about it. Okay. It's Justin Wills versus Alan Crowder. I was going to bring that up just to, just to fuck around, but, uh, but yeah, no, um, I, I, I was actually going to bring it up uh, jokingly, but also seriously, because I imagine this one, for gaming, I, I, this I'll be honest. This is probably gonna be my my void list with the heavy, just the heavyweight sample size stage of their career alone. Um, and if you look at the rounds, as far as the rounds they've done, and, and, and you know, going to the decision, which again fueling their sample size. But like you said, this one could be a sleeper for the fantasy angle because again, that that's the beauty beauty of fantasy. These kind of fights come to life. Is that what you're hinting at here? Well, yeah, because you know we get a situation where we have. A five-round fight, right? We have very popular fighters in Ngadu and Overeem. And going down the card even more, you have in that middle range, you don't know what's going on. It's really hard to pick a favorite or dog on either side and feel confident in it. So I'm thinking that maybe we get some heavyweight power. We get it on that winning side at a really lower ownership. And then maybe Ngadu ends up going to decision. Maybe Reem ends up sneaking one away. And maybe they don't fulfill their, you know, their salary. And we gain a little bit on the field. Definitely, yeah, and 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 heavyweights obviously have the propensity to score, and kind of what I just talked about. When you look at these guys' records, a lot of first rounds in there. They're not getting to rounds two and three very much at all. 
um, and with their stage of their career and, and the skill. The good thing about you know low level uh, MMA is that it produces more finishes. You know, I think that's something that everybody's kind of catching on to now. That uh, with the UFC, you know being such a clear head and shoulders level for the most part than other organizations we're seeing more decisions right the statistics are showing less finishes so even statistic from statistical analysis that feels i guess what you're talking about here where you know it, it, it it's it's got deceptive value for fantasy that's what I'm thinking, and I, I'm really high on Justin Willis for this fight. I think that he his he has a massive size advantage. Trent's at a better camp. Crowder came in at his last fight at 245, I think. I've I've seen a picture of Justin Willis, man. He yeah. looks he looks like on fight night he's going to be about a, like 280. Yes, yeah. yeah. You know, it, I, I'd be scared of that dude. That's all I'm saying. Justin Willis looks like he's still doing everything DC can't, you know, for diet wise. Like everything DC yeah. wishes he could do, I feel like Justin Willis is is still doing. <laughs> Big Freddy, that's his nickname, right? Yeah, is that a nice way to put it? I know uh, they're AKA training buddies, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, well, yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what's going on there because, like I said, I'm not really that confident that Nagano gets that early finish. You get a situation where he's so expensive. I know he has the highest inside the distance prop, but I'm looking for that first round knockout, right? Because he's so expensive that he, if he doesn't get that 100 points, I think we're not really doing doing well there. Right. I'm looking up Justin Willis now. He, he's he's a good couple hundred less than uh, Nganu, which, which can come in handy. I mean, it always comes down to just a couple hundred dollars when you're getting to the nitty-gritty anyways, right, with, with mm-hmm. these things. So that's... That's definitely something to keep in mind. Is there anything since you know since we're on keeping in theme with the podcast from bottom to top? Is there anything else in that fight pass section that kind of looks uh, maybe you know there's some sleeper value? Um, I- I'll just say that I'm I- I- I've been real high on Dominic Reyes. I think I think you know the secret's out though. They are they opened them at a minus four hundred five. The public's already taken them to minus five hundred. Um, as far as a betting angle, but fantasy, uh, you know, is, is he good to play? Even though he's so favored to win, you got a guy like Jeremy Kimball who is experienced and durable in his defense. Well, so you know, it's interesting. I was listening to uh, the Daily Fantasy uh, Fan MMA podcast. It's by a couple guys, Brett Appleby, really, really smart guys in MMA. Their main focus is MMA, so I really, you know, trust their input on a lot of stuff. One guy made a really funny comment, and you know, they say they said, you know, Kimball gets this reputation that he's really tough, right? And it's like, he's like, yeah, he's for what? And it's like not being knocked out before his first fight in the UFC. <laughs> so I'm, I'm wondering, like. With with Reyes, he's in, he's in that same category for Nagano as me. Like he's so expensive that if we really don't get that, and I and I that first round knockout or that first round stoppage or maybe a, a second round with a lot of takedowns, a lot of knockdowns, whatever it may be, I'm worried that maybe someone like Gagey just you know exceeds the salary expectations more so than Reyes or Nagano. I don't know. I expect those things to happen though. Like I expect yeah. Nagano, I expect Nagano to win early, right? I expect right. Reyes to win early. You know, I just I, I just don't know what I'm going to do about it. Like, if I want to make a lineup, it's really hard to fit these guys in if we're really counting on that. But like you said, with that low-level MMA, we clearly see kind of what's going on here. You know, people are getting set up, for lack of better terms. You know what I mean? Like, fighters at different trajectories in their careers. A hundred percent. Now, I'm going to look at his price up here, but i got to imagine uh, just to I, – I, I don't think we'll, we'll say much about the uh, – the headliner of the, the UFC Freelim spot, but the one before that, <laughs> Sabah Hamasi and Razak Al Hazan. I'm going to look up the price now, but Al Hazan, you know, me included. He's, he's 9000 Okay. Is he one of those guys you can get in another one, you can get in trouble reaching into the honey, honey pot, so to speak, here? 
Well, I think I think that's bet in the more more reasonable range. I really think on this card though that few hundred dollars here and there are really going to matter. We have you know a four hundred dollar difference between him and Reyes, uh, one hundred dollars between him and Nagano. The reason that I have a little less uh, willingness to commit on Nagano is just I know Overeem is is crafty. You know he's like you said in your in your co-main breakdown, he's probably the most one of the most accoladed fighters in the heavyweight division. Yeah, and he he knows that he can't get hit with he can't get in get in a fire fight with this guy. He knows that he has a weak chin. He knows that he's been knocked down in what three out of his last four fights or whatever this, you know, the stats probably better than me, but he knows that he can't go in there with him. I think that there's going to be a lot of movement going At least that's what I would do. Right. What would you do in that situation? If you were him, uh, same thing he's always done, you know, um, the stat off the top of my head, I don't think I included it in this one. It was a little wide, but, uh, it's six, him and Alvarez, I think ironically are the same. They're like six. They've been dropped or stopped in six of their last 11, essentially. Or like, or dropped or visibly stunned. Where I hate using the word stunned, especially in the breakdown, because that's sure. a, that's a, you start really getting much more in the even more subjective category than what I already oh, yeah. fucking do. But mm-hmm. uh, but there are some ones where it's kind of obvious where it's like, okay, even the fighter's going to admit that one. He's 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 wobbling all around the fucking cage. You know, he didn't technically sure. go down. But but you, but what we don't what we forget is that's a double edged sword. You know, he gets dropped, but. He's got the highest striking accuracy, not just active, but historically amongst heavyweights. I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, just like, you know, I, I took him, even though I'm, I'm I'm picking him against him here, I took him against Steve Bay, the current city champion, because I was like, I think he's going to, you know, I think he can hit his counter cross, uh, his liver kick. And when Steve Bay gets up, uh, the, the guillotine's probably going to be there. And you know what? Over him lost, but all three of those things came true. You know, mm-hmm. the pick was wrong. Again, you don't get credit for a wrong pick. I'm not trying to do revisionist history, but that was that was true. And we did see that play out. So th- these are you're right. These are things to remember. So especially going against the popularity now, backtracking to that aspect from the fantasy side, that also kind of interlays with that theory nicely, too. Well, well, yeah, and it takes to a different extent, like. Process versus results is something that I think is very important for the listeners and everybody that's doing any sort of gaming or fantasy to keep in mind, right? Just because it didn't work out for you doesn't mean it wasn't the right play. I think that if you continue to make the right play over the long run, you'll reach this intersection where luck and skill comes into you know some sort of crosshairs, and that's a place where we really want to make that money, right? Absolutely. All right. So if let me ask you now, just 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 on the FS1 prelims, just jumping ahead now. Um, well, I guess in the middle, I should say, if I'm if I'm Yoda and I'm looking for a, a, a Luke to jump on his back in the Dagobah system, am I jumping on the back of either Paul Felder or Charles Oliveira? Because I got to imagine the betting lines are saying there's going to be a finish between these two. The analysis and the betting lines, I should say. We have a lot. Of, there's some nice movement towards Oliveira. There was a, some nice movement on this card in general. We had a, a, some movement towards Torres and some let to a less extent. Well, Oliveira, I don't know what to expect. Uh, I feel like I, I don't want to disparage uh, Felder at all, but I feel like he has a pretty low fight IQ. Uh, I, I think that we see that time and time again, that he really doesn't pull the trigger enough, that he's tentative or that he's making mistakes in his actions. And then we got a fighter like the Bronx that there's always something going on with him. You know, both Oliveira's on this card. There's always something going on with him. You know, weight cuts. You know, uh, what? what is – did he have a trachea issue or something along those lines? I don't know what – it's something that I would just have a little hesitant put, – hesitance putting my money on at all. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about putting some action on Tamor uh, in terms of that FS1 area. 
you know, also we have Yancey, which is a good price. Obviously, we have to look at things in in the sense of if we want to play somebody like Justin Gagey or Henry Cejudo or any of these guys, we have to make sacrifices somewhere else. So I don't know. It's tough. It's tough to really look. But if, if you're going to play someone like Tamar, it might be hard to get someone like Holloway, right? Yeah, that's true. And those three fights that you just kind of mentioned, because they're all right next to each other in the FS1 prelim, the Maderos, um, the Maderos Oliveira, which was tough. You know, I want to back my fellow Hawaiian there, but but it, I see it as a tough matchup. But, but the same thing, you know, you just said about Felder Oliveira, you can say about, you know, um, Maderos uh, Cowboy, Cowboy Oliveira. Uh, mm-hmm. I love both those fighters, by the way, Brazilian Cowboy and, and, and my fellow Hawaiian there. But let's be honest, they've made... Again, you're talking about questionable decisions, high intangible fighters. As much as we love them, as much as you know their styles are fun to watch, um, these are these are things we got to keep in mind, and that kind of scares me away from that one. I actually surprised myself. I took Drakkar close, you know, uh, in, in in the Timor fight. I think you know, kind of what we we're talking about with the Jeremy Kim, Kimball. Where I don't know if he's so tough as far as his chin goes, because I agree with that 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 criticism, but. I think it more comes from his style. I think he has one of those styles where it's not great, it's not pretty, it's not effective. But going against these styles in the gym, like you know, you all see like why did this guy looks so bad. This fighter's crappy. He should have washed him. Like we've seen it time and time again. Some guys, it's hard for people to understand unless you've been in there. They just have those ugly styles that make it a tougher uh, fight. And I think that Drakkar Close has that, but unlike Kimball, he actually has some real tangible skills from his leg kicks, his striking, his durability, his, his mental edge, his confidence, and and he just muddy his wrestling base, which is his strength. He he's able to muddy things up in the clinch. And uh, even though Timor, I think, surprised us with some wrestling, um, you know, I just have a bad feeling that no matter what side you're on in that fight, it could get really muddy in the clinch. I'm kind of scared of mm. that one. You know that I'm happy that you brought that up because I'm gonna have to look a little deeper. Maybe I'll have to take some exposure off. But I just thought that Timor's striking advantage was just gonna be so pronounced. His that, speed, his speed's gonna be there. Yeah, and you know, the obviously wrestling always throws another intangible in there. But I guess at 8,800 for for Timor, maybe that's not really a good play when you have someone like Justin Gagey at 8,700, and then you have uh, Close down here. Oh, I have to scroll all the way towards the bottom at 7,800. So you have to look at that a little bit. Do you think that uh, Yancey has any value at 7,300? You know, I, I didn't. he didn't initially jump off the page, but as you were talking earlier, he did because, you know, again, if we're talking about even though if a guy should win – does he also carry that double-edged sword? Does he have that, you know, intangible? Where will he let a guy back into the fight? And mm-hmm. as amazing as the finishes are, we just saw the Ryan LaFleur or the Piotr Holman. They're both very similar. It's that uppercut. That's that's the money shot a cowboy, right? But mm-hmm. in both those fights, a lot of his highlight finishes, he's losing these fights up until that point, you know. Or you know, even the, you know when he when he loses, he's winning against Gilbert, you know, Durino. Until he loses at the end, right? So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you look at it from that aspect, kind of what we were just talking about, then yeah, maybe Yancey, as far as fantasy goes, um, I, I'd keep your money away. And, and again, my pick is, is is a reluctantly cowboy. But as far as fantasy goes, I'm definitely going to be looking at him when I'm putting together my, my, uh, my, underdog, uh, my underdog picks here. Cool. Maybe we go on to the main card now? Yeah, anything jump out on you? Uh, do you want to just kind of, do you want, since we've been kind of just t- talking about it, you want to talk about the obvious one there, uh, Eddie Alvarez and Justin Gaethje? The, the, this one, I, I'll, set it up, I'll, set, I'll set it up really quick, but, but uh, I guess my, my thing is, I feel like, I'm on Gaethje, by the way, anybody, you know, anybody reads my breakdown, they'll see that, but 
Eddie Alvarez is one of those quintessential dogs, man. And is this going to be a case, Jordan, where a lot of people, because the betting lines and the narrative and the hype and all that stuff seems to be on, on Gaethje's side right now. Not why I'm picking him, but let's be honest, it's on Gaethje's side right now. Is this going to be a case where he, he, even if, you, even if you, you, you're like me and you're picking Gaethje, is this, is this a smarter play to go Alvarez here? Well, I think that either way that you slice is there's going to be ownership on both sides. Okay. But there's a, there's a couple things that come into play, right? On the my third favorite MMA broadcast, the MMA Hour earlier this week, uh, behind MMA Junkie and Protect Your Neck. Yeah. Uh, right? Uh, but so – we had Eddie Alvarez on there, and I don't know if you caught that interview, but it was it was heated, and he did sound motivated. And you know, one thing that I like to see is a little self awareness, right? You have some people who lack that, and I think that shows in other aspects of your judgments in terms of fight IQ and other things. But I think that that loss to McGregor really did something, right? And then obviously coming into the next fight with Poirier, it really put another little cloud above what's going on. It sounded like he was refreshed, right? That being said. I'm on Gagey also, but if you ran this a hundred times, how many times do you think Gagey wins? Boy, uh, right now, if, if it happens in this time of period where they're meeting at this time of their life, I gotta say, uh, just I only go six. I just maybe go six. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's generous. I feel that's generous. Yeah, I, I think that this is going to be a war either way. Yes, I think that maybe that there is some. You know, if you're playing ten lineups, there's this eight dollar tournaments that I've been referencing. I think that's the real one that you should really play. Anybody that's listening out there, there's 17,000 entries, 17,600, you know, winner gets a lot of money and it's it's just fun to get in there, $8, maybe you put two in, two entries and you say, if you do four, I would split them right down the middle probably. I think that each one of my lineups would have either Gagey or Alvarez. That's the way that I think I would approach this. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that, and I will say that uh, you know the, re- the interviews you're referencing, and we even had them on the show too. And I, I like that self awareness for one. People don't give it enough credit; they think it's a bad thing. Like admitting your faults, I think goes a long way. Like especially these guys are fighters. Like really, are they really scared? You know, uh, you know, uh, you know, sand in their crotch kind of guys. Like I, for the most part, no, I really don't think so. They're 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 they're, bad, they're badasses. You know, they they can admit their faults. That makes them even more of a badass in my mind. But I agree because you know I'm, I'm rewatching the footage, and it's funny revisionist history with the McGregor hype, especially right after right after he won till now. Aha, Eddie Alvarez sucks. You got clowned by McGregor. Aha, ha, that's the narrative. That's the worst. It's but awful. It's awful. But I, I I'm rewatching and with that narrative in mind, and I'm going, you know what? Even in hindsight, knowing how this fight plays out, because I'm you know I'm watching them square off when I'm going through my timeline lineage of study, and I'm like. I still pick Alvarez. I don't change my pick, even knowing that I'm going to look like an idiot here. I, I still feel it's a justifiable pick, especially you know the fact that they had him at dog money um, for most of the time too, which was kind of crazy for a lot of hardcores as far as you know sure. going in. But yeah, you're right, and I think that that changed him. And and you know you look at the RDA fight as far as you know him referencing bringing the dog out in him, and mm-hmm. man, yeah, he says a lot of things I like. So this one's going to be close. Um, unless there's anything else you want to touch on the card, do you want to just end it here with the uh, main event? Sure. All right. Uh, main event, I, I, I almost feel obligated to always have him in my lineup one way or the other, where I'm, whether I'm going underdog, favorite, uh, with or against my pick. I, I feel like you almost, you almost have to have a, have a dog in the fight when you have five rounds to, to potentially score points. Is that too basic of thinking? or? Well, I mean, I feel like that's what everybody's thinking, right? right. That's, and, I, and it doesn't necessarily make it wrong because – there's just so much there's just there's just 10 more minutes to accumulate points you know there's no you know there, there's no way to really you know really slice that right you know you, you have more more opportunities to score you don't know if it's going to get there 
Mm-hmm. You don't know what's going to happen in those rounds. You don't know if it's going to be like uh, Wonder Boy and Woodley. You don't know if they're going to be dancing around for five rounds, right? Um, but I, I feel like that's what most people will do. I think you have someone like Aldo at 6,900 uh, compared to, uh, you know, Sergio Pettis at 7,000, uh, Kimball at 6,800, uh, you know, Overeem at 71. I feel like that name recognition just in general carries some ownership and some, you know, worth of, you know, t- throwing $8 down the drain if he ends up losing, right? True, true. But then you hear these kind of wild strategies where like, uh, you know, stacking, taking two fighters and that that obviously would be more popular, obviously, with the more rounds. But but kind of getting more more in depth and and even a deeper layer than that, like, let's just say you want to be contrarian and be like, okay, well, if everybody's thinking main event, then I'm going to wait for the main event that probably not going to score a lot of points that's probably not going to get a lot of finish i'm going to go the other way when everybody's going this way and not to pick on the ladies but when i think that i'm like okay the first thing i think about is ladies yet uh, you know there's fighters like yun jacek who granted she's an amazing fighter but always goes to the decision yet there scores a lot i don't yeah i don't have the numbers but she a scores a lot and b there were some fights correct me if i'm wrong you would know better than me but there are some fights where if you were to stack her with her previous opponents you also would have done well in what Sure. You might otherwise write off, right? Well, it's, it's a, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's controversial. Um, so there's two different really types of games, right? There's cash games and there's guaranteed prize pools. They're known as GPPs. Mm-hmm. This $120,000, uh, $8 tournament that I've been talking about is a GPP, right? So in cash games, I think that's a, a really good strategy and in some situations. And I think that this is one of those fights that it's a very stackable fight. You have a combined of what? I'm not very good at math, but you have 9,300 plus 6,900. That's not that much salary. And say it goes to the distance. I can imagine a situation where Holloway throws a hundred significant strikes, maybe get a a takedown or two, you know, lucks himself into a victory at maybe 80 to 90 points. And maybe you're lucky. And Jose Aldo comes in at 30 points, 40 points would probably be best case scenario. If that was a, a lose situation, right? That being said, if you do that, there's two ways of looking at it. You go in and you're banking. Hey, I, I already have one win unless it, unless you get a tie, which is rare, obviously. But I already have one win in, in my in my back pocket. But the other person says, "Hey, you already have one loss too." I got you. And one more question, kind of add, add to that. Let's say you're really confident in Max Holloway, which you know. Let's just forget that Jose Aldo is a legend, and I'm on Holloway, by the way. But let's just forget Jose Aldo is a legend and 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 not a guy you should overlook. But let's just say you're really confident in a guy. Do you still go maybe like 70-30 splits in your, like your GPPs as far as putting them in lineups? Or how, do, how does that go if you're, com- if you're really confident? I would say it depends how many lineups you're playing. If you're just having some fun, do whatever you know, makes you feel good, right? Um, but the, the, the limit of this contest is 150 entries, right? Okay. So if you're putting that many entries in, I would probably do something – or you know, you could have it to be any multiple. Say you're putting 20 entries in the contest, right? There's 20 max contests, three max contests, whatever it may be. But I would probably always hedge a little bit. And that doesn't necessarily mean putting in Aldo even if you think that Holloway is going to win. But it means maybe swapping in Cejudo or someone at you know Cejudo's 9,200 compared to Holloway at 93, right? Right, right. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, no, this is awesome, man. I mean, again, uh, you know, anybody who, who follows my my work, obviously, I come at it from more the the the, the technical martial arts analytical angle. But this is really educational for for for. I'm hoping the you know the audience members, but for me as well, man. So so cool. so, so thank you for coming on, and I'm definitely going to take this uh, take this into account. I'll probably reference back to this as we push forward in the episode, uh, as we push forward after after you depart with us here. Totally, and uh, let's 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 put together a lineup. 
All right, yeah, yeah. Before yeah, before we move on, I want I want to ask you about your your your, your 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 other podcast. But you're right. Before we do that, let, let's put together a little quick fun lineup here, and uh, we'll we'll get back and, and and people can chime in, and we'll I'll, I'll touch on it to see how we did. So cool. Uh, so as the host, you, you lead us off. Okay. Um, wow. All right. All right. So let, let, let's dip into the process here. Uh, I guess you know what jumps out at me at first. My my probably my more my most confident pick. Um, as far as you know, the one I feel like I'm gonna have to be on as well. Not just confident point scoring. Feel that I, even if I want to be, do a contrarian play, I can't here, and that's gonna be Max Holloway for me. I feel really confident in him. Um, I, I, he's really expensive, but uh, let's see if we can fit him in. I'm, I'm I'm nervous because he is expensive, and there's not a lot of dogs I like, so I might be setting us up for a real tough one here. We'll make it work, off. right? Okay. All so, right. so we have Max Holloway, ninety three hundred. That yes. leaves us with eighty one forty left, right? So I got next, and I'm going to go with Justin Gagey, nice. eighty seven hundred, right? So that leaves us with eight thousand dollars average per player. You're up next. All right. All right. Um, I'll save the ones where we can kind of debate here for the for 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 the end, which will probably be the 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 two underdogs or so. I'm guessing. So I'm going to try to go a little lower, being strategic, knowing there's not a lot of dogs we like. So I'm going to try to look for a favorite, again, through the same criteria, but just more more midland range, you know, preferably maybe a slot or two under Gaethje. Um, boy, see, this is actually, we could be arguing here because I think, you know, Paul Felder could fight that, face that criteria, but... It's volatile both ways, and this might be a one where, where if we have a choice, we might want to walk the other way and let everybody else hang themselves and, and, and shoot each other in the shootout, right? So uh, let me see. Let me see. Uh, go down. Go down. Let's go. Shit. Sorry. Um, <laughs> let's go. Okay, maybe I might have to go up a, a second then, actually, then. Oh, Jesus. Oh, boy. Uh, you know what? my life. I know. I know. How about... You know what? Uh, we didn't really talk about this fight, but I'm pretty confident on Tisha Torres, and I think the public is now starting to get more confident on it. And I'm a big fan of Michelle Waterson, by the way, and she obviously has the more finishing potential on paper. She's a more attractive pick narrative-wise. Um, that narrative is bled into the line because I thought the line was a little tight. Now, I, it, you know, it inflated a lot. It, it swung a lot, which sucks, but I actually agree with it. I think that's where it kind of should have been. And again, Tisha Torres, I was talking about it. She averages, you know, she she might she's not a fun fighter to watch, but she averages forty five to fifty strikes per round. I don't know how well that scores, Jordan. Uh, she's been she doesn't traditionally score a lot of takedowns, so I don't know if that's represented in her in her DraftKings stats. But in her last two camps, she's put a lot more emphasis in her grappling. Not just the emphasis, but it's also gotten better. Like she'll take a back, go for a choke, and uh, that's something that I brought up in the Waterson breakdown versus Nami Yunus. This is why I went with Nami Yunus was because. Waterson overstays are welcome in these grappling situations. Uh, she'll be at a wrestling disadvantage against a lot of her opponents, including Torres, even though Torres is a fellow Adam weight. She can wrestle. And, uh, you know, we saw Torres take back a Beck Rawlings a couple times. Couldn't get the finish. She tried. She had a lot of control there. Ends up getting the finish on a, on a tough, scrappy Juliana Lima in her last fight. Perhaps she could be a sleeper here. I'm I'm down with it. I I'm really torn on this fight. I think similar to Gagey and Alvarez, if we played this a hundred times, it might be close to 60, 40, 55, whatever that other number is. Uh, but I think that that's a good play. One thing that I will point out, obviously, is we're looking for finishes. Right, she isn't a right. uh, known finisher, but I think that at 8600, it's hard to really go wrong, and there aren't really uh, options really abound, right? So that leaves us with 7800 left per person. Okay, let's go, Yancy Medeiros, 73. 
7,300. That bumps you back up to 8,050. I like it. That's a, a 7,300 is a nice number to have as I'm starting to learn when I'm putting these. If I can get guys in that range, I know I'm doing good. If I can get a dog that, even if I didn't pick them, I feel it's a solid, I feel it's a solid play as far as, as, as far as, um, dog goes, which, which I think that's so harder for a lot of the gen pop, the general public to get. Hey. It's easier. Everybody, everybody gets on the same favorites, right? But it, it seems like it's harder to get on the same dogs, which is crazy because there's actually less dogs to pick from than favorites, sure. right? But yet people have a harder time picking the dogs. That's just my opinion. I don't know what you see, but. Well, would you rather play uh, Medeiros or Overeem in a, in a situation where you're pr- almost like, well, I'm pretty mm. sure Nagato is going to win, right? Right. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that I believe I'm pretty sure that I believe that to be true. With Medeiros Oliveira, I don't really necessarily trust Oliveira that much, you know. Hundred uh, percent. Well, how much does that leave us with now for uh, for our, our remaining? Uh, we have slots. two fighters left, right? Yep. And uh, eight thousand fifty each. All right, all right, eight thousand fifty each. Uh. Let's go. That is the average we're working with. Boy. I think I know who you want to pick, so I, I'm trying to look at a thing that'll that'll uh, allow us. <laughs> go he, he's, go he's, you are. He's about 300 over, so I'm going to look for somebody about 300 under there. We'll uh-huh. go 83. Oh, we got your boy David Teamer, even though I'm on the other side of you, for, for, for a possible dog pick. And Drakkar Close, who is 78. Um, there's the aforementioned Overeem. And under 83, unless we're going, you know, under 83, there's nobody I really like. David Timor is actually just above that 84, which would cancel out that other possible pick we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to, even if this leads to an argument, sir, I, I think we should go Drakkar close for the reasons I said before. Go for it. All right. So we have we have eighty three hundred left, right? Yes. So now we're in a situation where we can pick someone who is so strong she made her last opponent defecate. <laughs> we can we can pick someone like Courtney Casey who has a, a very good up kick from the ground game, unorthodox strategy. Yeah. All right. right? Uh, we don't have Ninganu. So maybe we could play Overeem and leave $1,000 on the table. That's a way to differentiate our lineup, right? Because most people try to spend the whole salary. Maybe yeah. if we feel comfortable with uh, Overeem versus anybody else that's available, maybe we play that and you know hope that no one else has this lineup, hope that we're in first place, and then hopes that you know we're you know, having fun. You know what I'm saying? It didn't work out for me too well in China, but th- th- that was the last card was one of the ones where I did that, where I was like, it was such a shit show card. It was one of those cards <laughs> where you could, you could actually like go really low, right? Under your salary and still feel just as confident as you probably would have any other yeah, so, fucking card, but right. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go with the ream. Let's, cool. cause we don't have Ninganu. Yeah. Let's, let's hope that something happens real freak. Overeem ends up, you know, giving him the ream in an area I don't know where, but yeah. that gets gets just the early finish, and then we get that hundred point bonus, and that we're, you know, he's going to be owned, but if we leave this salary less on the table, maybe he's going to really separate us. Yeah, hundred percent, and even being owned, I still have to imagine and gone and like the, the betting lines are going to somewhat translate to ownership, right? Massively, yeah. So it's one of the, especially because you know we mentioned how MMA is not as broken as a game yet. People really weigh on Vegas because they trust Vegas a lot. So to recap, we have Max Holloway at ninety three hundred, Justin Gagey at eighty seven hundred, Tisha Torres at eighty six hundred, Yancy Maduros at seventy three hundred, Dakar Close at seventy eight hundred, and Alistair Overeem at seventy one hundred. 
If you see this lineup on tomorrow's article at MMAJunkie.com, it was 100% my idea. I will be <laughs> full credit for this. Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> and if, if, if we end up losing five out of six fights, that's I still give you that credit. I'm yes, that, sir, I'm yes, that sir. selfless. I'll take it. I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll take it regardless, man. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. This, yeah, we, we uh, next time we get you on here, we're gonna have to do this, do, do, do this, do this again. But um, before yeah. before we get you out of here, man, I, I, I just want to I, I want to share it just because there's a lot of other like-minded uh like-minded people who who enjoy the same things outside of mma that we may enjoy so why don't you just tell us about what you got going on over a nation of podcast yeah so like we talked about earlier uh i had a great time coming on the podcast we got to get you to come on my podcast talk some crappy tv television a movie here or there whatever whatever really floats your boat but you know I watch so much sports that I, I wanted to, you know, get into something else and really, you know, have a have a good time talking, you know, really crap television with my friends. So nationofpodcast.com right now we're we're breaking down 90 Day Fiance. 90 Day Fiance is a ridiculous show on TLC. There's this whole universe of people who go on these international dating websites and they, you know, Philippines, Russia, wherever they may be, and they fly over, they bring them back, they have 90 days to marry them, and if they don't, they're out of the country. Boom, they're done. And you know, TLC has no chill. Uh, we just found out that there's someone with like a domestic abuse uh, history on the show this season, and he has this beautiful Filipino girl with him that just like wants to settle down, and she doesn't know about the abuse yet. And then there's this one couple that's they're making their return on 90 Day Fiance, and it's Nicole and Azan. They're over in Morocco. A very large woman in Nicole, and she brings <laughs> her, her two-year-old daughter daughter to Morocco, and it's just it's awful. She uses them as bargaining chips. Oh, it, it goes on and on. Like I could, I could talk, and like you honestly wouldn't believe the words that I'm saying. Like last season, uh, there's this show called Before the Ninety Days, and uh, this guy named uh, named Paul, no relation to Paul Felder, uh, from Kentucky. He met this girl, eight, 19 years old, in the Amazon in Brazil. She flew not like not like cool Brazil, like you know up the river Brazil. Oh shit! Flies over, <laughs> takes, takes a two day boat trip to go meet her. No, no electricity, no water. They don't speak English, so they're communicating through Android, tel- uh, Android phones. Marries her. Turns out this guy is like a c- convicted arsonist. It's just like it's it's ridiculous, bro. Sometimes you think that MMA is crazy. Then I realize there's people out here that are doing this. Yeah, when I hear these things, I just I, I must be a shitty friend because I immediately think of all these different friends that I would love to insert in those scenarios just to watch <laughs> and fucking laugh. I don't know what that says about me as a human being, but that, that's what's coming to my head when you're saying this. But hey, but, but hey. You know- Hey man, this this was awesome, man. Uh, I definitely would love to have you back. And by the way, audience, y'all know how we do it here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. The lunatics run the asylum, so make sure you hit up my friend here at Orda Nation Sports. Drop the O and uh, thank him for coming on. And of course, you know us here at the PYM Podcast or me at Don, Dan Tom MMA. And uh, you know, let us know how you like it and stuff. And maybe we'll get be getting Jordan back on here for some of the big shows if. If if uh, if he can fit into a schedule, I know you're a busy man. Hey, no, I would I would appreciate it. I would be more than happy to come back on. I had a great time. Hopefully, we win some money on this lineup. I'm gonna put in the eight dollar. Maybe I'll put it in some more. Maybe we split it. Maybe we get some uh, some dancers. You know, the exotic nature. No judgments either way. I really appreciate it, Dan. I had a great time. Oh, we gotta get you out here to Vegas, buddy. Thanks for coming hey. on, man. All right. Cheers, bro. Easy. Once again, hopefully y'all enjoyed that. That was a nice change of pace of things, wasn't it? Little less of me, more of somebody else. And 
Honestly, I, I really enjoyed talking to Jordan. I've always enjoyed talking to him before, but that was probably one of the more longer times I've gotten to speak with him. And just an awesome cat. I think uh, I, I think I definitely would enjoy hanging out with him, and we'll look forward to having him on more. Feel free to chime in, though. Again, lunatics run the asylum here. And let's get back to the show. I'm going to try to get out of here in a record under half hour with my picks and plays for UFC 218. Starting from bottom to top, as we normally do, Justin Willis versus Alan Crowder. Willis is the, well, not including the Dana White series, is is the... Is the, is, is the more veteran UFC fighter by one fight. You know, two bookings if you count the failed weight miss uh, from, uh, you know, missing weight. And despite missing weight, despite his physique, he actually moves pretty damn well. It's like if you took if you took Daniel Cormier's character, made him into a heavyweight because you allowed him to eat all the bad food again, but then took all the video game wiring from Conor McGregor's character and put it into that character... And then maybe dumb down a lot of the skills. You'd have Justin Willis. You have this big, giant, athletic black man who fights out of a southpaw stance and just is just pulling, returning, and is just athletic, agile, smooth. You know, uh, much more smoother than he should be for a guy who is a football player, not a not a martial artist, mind you, heavyweight. But man, he looks like quite the character. Trains over, you know. Uh, not, not, not trying to be be rude with the Daniel Cormier and paint with the broad paintbrush, so to speak. But they, they both train an American top team, so forgive me for taking the low hanging fruit. I, I did take it, but um, and then Alan Crowder, yes, Dana White looking for a fight. I was actually at that one, um, which was funny. I didn't even realize I was at that one, and I was, the, I was like, hey, who's the who's the who's that Asian cat sitting next to Richard Hunter? And I was like, oh, hey, that, that watch me, watch me. Why is that like Sean Connery? Um. That's Bob Hoskins. Dan, you're getting it all confused. All right, anyways, but I was like, hey, that, that was kind of weird. I forget where I'm at half the time. It's been a crazy fucking year, man. It's been a cool fucking year. It has been, man. But it's been a fucking crazy one. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I remember watching that Crowder Cat fight, and um, I didn't get a chance to listen to commentary because I was there live, so that was a treat, uh, listening to uh, uh, Felder, who we'll talk about later in the show, Um doing his thing with the commentary, but, uh, but yeah, man, this is, this is on my avoid list. Um, not a lot to say about it. I mean, Crowder's a guy probably get himself into some, some trouble cause he, he's really wild. You know, he's, he's athletic. He's, he's, he, he, he can do stuff. He doesn't look like he should be able to do, especially for his experience level. I believe he's another football guy. Uh, just a good old boy. Just a Southern boy. And he's, uh, uh, you know, not afraid to go after it on the ground as far as submissions go. A lot to be decided on the feet, especially defense, which is why I think the, the, those pull counters are going to be bad. And I don't know if he's really going to get him down or be able to muscle him around. I mean, he's 6'3", he's sizable, but he's going to be at at least a 20-pound, 30-pound weight disadvantage. And I got to imagine, if he's training an American top team, that is Willis, he's getting pushed around by sizable dudes, so... I don't know if the loose kind of uh, blue belt uh, losing position as much as you gain position type of jujitsu game is going to get much miles. Probably get him more in trouble than he's worth. I, I'm still not even pulling up the odds here. Jesus Christ. All right, Willis 225, Crowder plus 185. Uh, you didn't open that, but that seems actually about right where it should be. And I, I'm not touching it either, no matter where it ends up. Next fight um, is boom. Jeremy Kimball versus Dominic Reyes. I was, I, this is one of those lines I was eyeing early because I knew they were going to open them high. The secret's kind of out on Dominic Reyes, but I wanted to know how much the secret is out. And and, and Jeremy Kimball's not a guy that's going to get a respect from the book, bookmakers, but 
you know, he's got that deceptive regional experience. He's got, you know, I was, was, was talking about the toughness there with, uh, with Jordan. He's got that toughness where it's more in his style, I guess, so to speak. Um, I'm not ready to, to put in his chin. I don't know. I'm sure speaking the southpaws with, uh, you know, accurate crosses off the counter or coming forward in Dominic Reyes's case. He has both. Um, crushing kicks as well to accompany with it. Does those counterbalances cross with those kicks with those, and throwing them an offbeat timings real sharp, real straight down the pipe. Um, and uh, by the way, before I forget, because I'll, I'll forget, this is kind of random time bringing it up, but I, I said I was going to give a shout in the previous segment before uh, for people that might have a you know a tough finale breakdown or other shows that 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 that, that, that come strong with the fantasy and breakdowns. Um, in general, y'all know I'm always giving shouts to uh, half the battle. Um, be, 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 you know, definitely be, you know, be sure to check them out. Uh, MMA analysis is another one. I, I always love what those fucking jokers have to say. Um, it's a nice little dessert at the end of the week always, but, uh, it's, uh, you also, I also have a, a loud mouth network. Uh, my, my man, Blake Stevenson. Come on, can't, you gotta give love to Loaded Joe's. You also got the, you know, you know, you got the the, the, the uh, YouTube channels and the the MMA gamblers on on Twitter. You got, you know, the the MMA Kelton. Go check out his channel. Subscribe. Uh, my man Rockstar Z's back in the game. Always good. Always a good reference point there. Uh, there's plenty, plenty of guys. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, they're all coming. Uh, Kobe's corner. He's always putting out videos, hustling. Uh, another reference point there. Um, boy uh, now i'm gonna leave people out now that's a problem and then people are gonna get upset but the point is i'm trying to try to name a nice diverse group who do different sources different styles different places specialize in different things you get a nice different uh diverse group so i know a lot of y'all hit me up for things and this and that and uh, i try to give you as in-depth as i can i appreciate y'all following along and definitely supporting this show of course this is my pirate ship baby but but uh, respect to the, to the fellow hustlers out there um, on the grind, and because uh, this UFC schedule is relentless, so anybody out there, out there, you know, giving their opinions, putting themselves out there, uh, gets my respect. All right. Anyways, um, yeah, Reyes opened at the minus like four hundred five was the opener, so I was like, ah, shit, way too high, and I'm surprised he didn't blow up uh, further farther than the minus. Uh, Further than the minus 500 that he's currently listed with the comeback on Jeremy Kimball plus uh, 400. Um, I was surprised to see, though. I actually took a shot. I put, I think it was minus 152 for the uh, inside the distance. I played that straight up. I didn't put it. Um, my, my, my plays are pretty chalky. I'll, I'll be I'll be honest. But I didn't want to overdo the chalk, so I didn't list that one. And that's kind of an obvious one, too. You don't need my dumbass telling you to play Reyes inside the distance, right? I don't know if I really needed to do an article for that. Um, which is dropping now as we speak, will be up on MMAJunkie.com as per normal. All the breakdowns, even though it came out a little different this week, they're all, MMA Junkie does a great job at linking the articles within. And of course, you go to my Twitter feed. They are pinned, posted, retweeted throughout my walls from at the PYN podcast or my handle at DanTomMMA. Um, yeah, uh, it was pretty chalky, but I was surprised to see what I was saying was a plus 825 for, for by submission. And... Again, Reyes, football player too, but he comes from a wrestling base. And, um, you know, he's trained with Drysdale. He's trained at the California scene, which is littered with jiu-jitsu schools. Uh, I don't know about recently, but before his last fight, was doing time in Denver, at least with Curtis Blades and those guys over there. Um, I believe he spent some time at a mall, Easterns, I want to say. But, I mean, he, he you know... Uh, 
says he likes the front choke. He definitely has the long arms for it. Has one front choke to his credit. Um, the submission in his amateur career is not specified, so I don't know what that one was. But uh, the point is, uh, Kimball is, is 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 pretty durable, at least on paper, and Reyes seems pretty smart, well-rounded. If you go back to his regional scene, he does show he, he knows how to you know, uh, transitionally ride, although he likes to primarily strike from those rides as opposed to sell out submissions, which is a good thing. It just shows that he's, he's being positionally aware and has a good fight IQ that's kind of above his age and experience, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have that submission game. Um, I put a couple bucks on it just to fuck around uh, with it because the line is, is so high and why not? And that just seems kind of, that seems off as far as the submission prop. So fun flyer there, fun flyer territory. All right, next fight. Uh, Avoid Al Hassan versus Hamasi. Wait and see. Sample sizes are off. Both guys get tired. Both guys are are more durable than the, you know uh, than their detractors may say, if that makes sense. But ultimately, their bottoms could drop out in different areas at any time because again, their sample size is low. Most of their fights don't go the distance, especially Razak Al Hassan. I, for one, was uh, among the many who. Were on the train before and took that shot against Akhmadov, which was chalky at the time. And you know, hindsight, bad call. Um, so perhaps this is me overcorrecting the steering wheel. But really, when you look at it objectively, it's hard to have a strong read um, on either side. Um, I almost went with uh, Homasi as an underdog uh, possible to look at, which I still could recommend him here for the fact of... If you look at his regional scenes, even against Tim Means, uh, granted he was desperation, he took that fight short notice, so he was he was done like minutes into that fight. Um, he for not being a wrestler, he's got a he's got a, a very powerful power double, and usually he'll just like look to work ground strikes from top side, but he's got really good uh, instincts for fighting inside the guard. He, he knows where to put his weight. He keeps his hands inside the biceps. He drives his, his his forehead and his head pressure under the chin. He does a lot of the things you want to see for inside the guard fighting. And despite Razak Al-Hassan's judo base, he's surprisingly easily taken down. Um, Akhmadov, not a wrestler. Uh, I know that we like to stereotype Russians for wrestlers, but he's, you know, from... Uh, Mahachkala, you know the, the 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 more as I covered in the last podcast, going over how there's there, there's the Sambo Dagestan guys, but then there's the the Sanda ones, and you know if you look at Omari's take that was very much Sanda like it's usually off of caught kicks and whatnot, and he was just timing them, doing offensive shots, doing all the you know, different clinch, and just taking down Razak Al Hassan. Granted. Alsan got tired, and that could you know. So the back half of the fights, a lot of those could be attributed to that. But he was still getting up at the very end of the fight. Al Hassan, you know, had enough energy to get up. So if he had enough energy to get up, it was more of a technique thing. You listen to Stephen Warmaster Wright, his head coach, who I respect, awesome guy. I love love Stephen Warmaster Wright's uh, insight, intellect, and and listen to him in the corner. And even he was calling it. You know, it was his weight distribution was all off. He was upright and too forward. So he just makes it. He's asking to be shot under and timed and taken off of his feet. And now that you know he was he he was a part of that team takedown that got disjointed. You have to wonder, maybe, you know, since he's not working with Hendricks and Layman and the whole team with the wrestlers that all the other wrestlers that were attached all disparted ways a couple years ago, did he also feel the negative effects that a lot of those guys had to deal with? You know, from Skelly being out wrestled, 
in, in, in his fight, granted, Elkins is a beast, but you know what I'm saying? Like, um, uh, it was you know you saw that when when a team has drama, you'll see that kind of butterfly effect to these guys. At least parts of their career will be affected. Some might not recover, like in the case of Johnny Hendricks. Whereas Al Hassan, you can see, well, I'm with a good striking coach, War Master, right? My base is in judo, so you know, hey, it's it sucks, but hey, I at least you know my base is in grappling, so I don't got to worry about that. We see it all the time, right? Where guys because their base is in something, they forget about it. You know, Josh Koscheck's a great example because he self-admittedly, you know, was getting taken down. He's like, wow, I'm never getting taken down. Oh, I, I worried so much about overcompensating, I forgot about what got me there, and what became a strong base ended up turning into a false sense of security and costing me some fights. So in other words, is I could see that happening, um, which makes stay away, which makes possible upset, which makes win or lose, could be an ugly fight where Samasi wins and, and, and scores you some points DraftKings because of the takedowns. Because I don't see him wanting to stand with Al Hassan, and he's working with good people, good management, American top team. Um, hasn't been around for a year, athletic, young. He's bound to have made improvements in this past year, so who knows what they're going to be. I wouldn't bet hard on either side. Next fight. Oh, this is going to be a real quick breakdown. Uh, Angela Majana versus Amanda Bobby Cooper. All right, and there's the breakdown. My pick's Bobby Cooper. All right, uh, I don't even care about the odds. All right, next fight. Uh, Felice Herrig versus Courtney Casey. I like both these girls, man. Um, I like both these girls. They're both very durable. They're both scrappy, though defense can still be a lot desired. There's still a lot to be desired as far as defense goes on the feet. Uh, on the ground, they're both scrappy, uh, defensively, offensively, comfortable from any position, live in the scramble, durable, cardio. For that reason, the over, which is actually dropping down, it's now mi- minus, oh, maybe actually it's going up. It's minus 230. It was minus 225. Um, it's a recommended parlay piece. I know, female fight, over, ooh, chalk. Wow, Dan, you're really, you're really reaching here in many, many variations. I know, I'm not expecting you to be impressed, but you know what? It's That's that's what a parlay piece is. It's something within the range, which, hey, 225, even 230 as it is now is well within range. I'm not feeding you three or four hundred stuff that's getting all inflated by the time it hits hit, hit, hits you here from from, from, from my mouth, uh, you know, to your ears. Um, but it, it, it makes sense here. And the pick, by the way, is Herrig at the minus 135 favorite. I believe that's about right. I'm actually going to play that straight just because it's so low against Courtney Casey, who usually is a live dog, but not worth playing at plus 115. Not so much not worth playing value-wise, but value is a dangerous word because it could make you chase bets that aren't there. But analysis-wise, what I tend to go by on this show, the propensities for both is that Courtney Casey plays from bottom too much. As active as she is, it's awesome. But if you can't finish it, you can't depend on the – sure shit can't depend on the judges to give it to you. Versus Herrig, who, again, I took against Keish the last time. It's one of those things where these – you know, uh, like I was saying with Beck Rawlings, who, you know, ended up, you know – shit in the bed, not looking great or anything like that, which is fine. I wasn't ex- you know, expecting big things from her, obviously, but uh, why I bring up Beck was, was the example kind of fits here where the narrative, because of a personality, whether you like it or don't, whether it's one way or the other, narrative's a dangerous thing. It can take you off to what the actual skill set is, where Felice, for a while, I think, you know, and, and it even burned me in certain fights uh, going back, you know, when you go back about three or four fights or three fights and it's it's I think, she, you know, she was a lot better than a lot of us gave credit for, uh, particularly in the wrestling department and her skills made on the ground. A lot's talked about her kickboxing background, yada, yada. But let's be honest, female kickboxing backgrounds and female kickboxing titles, even professional, much less the amateur. Um, I'll, Let's just politely say they look better on paper than what they really are. 
Felisto on the ground, a lot to like. You know, she kills scrambles so well. She's a beast from half guard, man. Her half guard game is sick, and uh, it wasn't overestimating it from what she did to Kylan Curran because, uh, you know, I, I, I was touting it last time, and it was it ended up being a key for the scrambly Justin Keish, who works well from a half guard. I mean, you see Keish uh, bridge like crazy, who unfortunately I was uh, <laughs> a little too right on my assessment as far as her bridging. Uh, because that's what caused her to poop. And rewatching that was a tough watch. Oh, that tough watch knowing what happens in a <laughs> what happens what happens in that fight. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, you know, I, I see her playing on top is going to do her well. But again, Courtney, I don't know if she's going to be able to finish Courtney Casey. So the overplay looks pretty safe here for me at least. That's a parlay piece. All right, next fight is. David Timor versus Drakkar Close. This might be the only official underdog uh, pick um, because uh, we have uh, Drakkar Close, who I have at plus 260, versus David Timor, one, minus 185. Timor, um, he should be the favorite, don't get me wrong. Um, I, it's a part of me wants to say that I slash we all underestimated him in the sense that odds makers slash we all slash the narrative slash the techniques we're all on Lando but not a side problem is we started to learn that Lando doesn't really fight smart and part of the reason why I at least I was on him was because I thought he was going to use more of the wrestling that we saw on Lando's regional scene that's what caught my eye to Lando initially I was like who is this guy it looks like Michael Chandler's retarded twin and uh but you know uh with a lot with the, with the long hair because he had the super long hair at the time and uh, this guy could wrestle and scramble, and he wasn't doing those things. In fact, Timor was 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 getting the better of the wrestling. Timor, underrated wrestler, uh, part of, partially from his Muay Thai background. Again, I always talk about it all the time. Muay Thai strikers, generally, as far as strikers translating to MMA grapplers or just grapplers in general, there's there's lots of like from from people who make the jump from Muay Thai because there's a lot built into their style. Timor is a product of that. He's also a product of the All Stars Gym, which has an underrated wrestling program. There, um, and you can see that with a lot of their fighters, including fighters that are just good wrestlers like Leo Latifi, who is not shy in helping the other fighters out. Um, that said, it, it, it's mainly offensive stuff with Timor. Um, defensively, you know, he can still be taken down. He's not beyond being taken down, even though he has underrated wrestling. And I think Drakkar Close can take him down. Not only can Drakkar Close take him down from the clinch, caught, caught kicks, but more specifically the clinch. Even if he can't take him down, Drakkar Close, not pretty to watch, but he's holding guys in the clinch for a reason. And he's really, he's really good at it. He's really good at understanding of the underhooks. Uh, and he is one of those guys that, again, you don't have to like it. I'm not saying it's the most exciting style to watch, but he's really good at styming the fight. And I think at the very least, he's going to muddy up this fight. Um... Which is another reason why Jakar Close, even though he's on, this is on the avoid list for good reason, uh, I still played him, of course, because you know Dan Tom Wallace puts his money where his mouth is. Just you know, um, even though it's not an official straight play, I'm not. It's not a play where I'm going to tell you to jump off the cliff. In fact, I'll tell you to go the other way, avoid. But he is on. He's the dog selection for uh, uh, one of the dog selections for the draft DraftKings team because of that reason. Um, as far as you know. Within that price range where you're looking for filler, you need that uncommon pick. I ended up going with him. can score some takedowns. Kind of touched on that reason with uh, Jordan. Anyways, um, we'll see. I don't expect you to jump off that cliff with me. Next one, I wanted to take the dog, but I couldn't. That is fellow, fellow Hawaiian Yancy Medeiros, who is currently the plus 210 underdog. Alex, 
Howboy Oliveira minus 250. We had uh, Howboy Oliveira's manager, Alex Davis, who shares all those lovely stories, including the one you've heard me talk about before, of him impregnating three different women who live on the same street. Alex Davis was on MMA Junkie Radio, which, by the way, go listen, download, subscribe, all the same places, mmajunkie.com forward slash radio. Um, really good episodes this week. He's some fucking awesome stories. Great guy, Alex Davis, man. Um, but he's a deserving favorite here. I got to say, the line's not off, even though I was tempted to pick Medeiros. Um, the thing is, Medeiros is more of a volume guy. If you've kind of chinny, or not chinny, but if you're just... If you're normal to subnormal, then, you know, Medeiros can put some numbers and possibly knock you out. If you're normal to subnormal, then Medeiros could probably guillotine you. But, Howboy Oliveira, deceptively strong in the clinch, good posture, again, from the, the Muay Thai to the maybe the, the rodeo riding has something to do with his ridiculous core strength. But he's a hard guy to break down. Like, you're not seeing guys snap him down. You're not seeing guys put him in a, in a, a guillotine uh, very much, right? So, okay, that's kind of out of the question there. Clench wrestling, okay, obviously, ugh, I don't know. Defense, ugh, Yancey Medeiros, you know, it's a thing. He gets dropped in almost like every fight, especially recently, you know. And, and um, against a heavy hitter like Howboy, it's it's tough, man. It's tough. It's real tough. Um, it He's, he's, uh, I don't know if he's gonna, you know, if his uppercut's gonna be there so much. I gotta imagine Yancey's gonna be gonna be gonna be aware of that. Yancey's making technical progressions more, even though he's staying in Hawaii, he's training with Max and, and the team they're building over there with the Gracie Technics. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's tough to see where Yancey's gonna win this fight unless, you know, Oliveira just plays stupid most of the time and allows Maderos to put numbers on him. In that case, I could see him. In that case, maybe I'll sprinkle uh, Maderos because if it goes to the decision, I could see it maybe being close. Unless Oliveira really just gets his wrestling game going, which is possible, um, but really, it's just it. I, in other words, if I'm having this much trouble justifying a Yancey pick or play, even at degenerate level, hard to pick him, and hard to play that fight because again, Oliveira as, as well, you know, he's not beyond putting himself in bad spots. He's durable, tough as shit, but he puts himself in bad spots too, and, and is given fights away that he's winning. So uh, it's on the avoid list, but the pick is Oliveira. Uh, next fight is this the last fight on the FS1 prelims? Paul Felder versus Charles Oliveira. Uh, Paul Felder um, is the only straight play minus 105. The line dropped. I played that a half a unit, um, or maybe a whole unit. I can't remember. But it, the point is, I know, yeah, Dan. Well, you're, you're you became friends with Paul Felder and the, the trip and. Whatever, and that's hard, man. It's hard not to, you know, when you get to know these guys. That's why I almost prefer not to, you know, I almost go out of my way not to know these guys. I'm not really bringing fighters on the show, unless it's Sam Alvey, who I might actually have again here with Jordan Killian. Working on that, working on bringing you guys more top fives. I'm actually going to just fuck the UFC schedule. I'm just going to just be banking these on the side, and and, and, and and so you'll be getting essentially more content. More work for me, but more content for you. Anyways, but... um. You know, uh, it's it's hard once you once you get to know some of these guys. Granted, but you know, Dan Tom, I pick against Hawaiians. I pick against extreme couture people. I I, I pick against my biases on a regular basis to my own detriment. Sometimes, believe me, more than you know. So when I say it's not an issue, and I'm giving you my honest opinion, I hope you know by now. But you that it is, and for new listeners, 
Well, there you go. Okay, um, Paul Felder. Uh, I believe that the line should be a little higher. I think Paul Felder is another guy. I think he had a bad rap, you know. Um, I think he was facing tough guys at tough times in his career between, you know, losing his father, jumping camps, uh, jumping around camps, you know, uh, and, and all these things, uh, which were good reasons for. Uh, he's a good dude. It's not like there's, there's drama around him. He, he doesn't come off as one of those guys to me. Um, you know, kind of talked about it. And no, nothing, no bad talk about anybody these camps or this or that, but just life, man, just doesn't work out and it's really tough trying to organize um and make your next move and make your next evolutions as a fighter um but he seems to have made a really good fit because he's proved me and many justly or unjustly uh, criticisms uh, wrong you know he's 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 improving he's really finding his fold like many taekwondo traditional based martial artists who go to mma or muay thai that seems to be you know Duke Rufus's uh, alley, right up his alley, right? I mean, because that's essentially him, right? His brother. That's that's their background. Traditional martial arts, karate, you know, through the IS, you know, through the you know the, the PKA kickboxing days to the you know Muay Thai, and then uh, more practical era of today into MMA. So fighters who have made somewhat of that lineage tend to do well there. Um, for example, if this was another life where Dan Tom had a similar background, but he didn't suck as an athlete and just overall suck like I do, I, I would hypothetically, if I were a fighter, I, I would I would want to you know probably align myself with with that kind of a gym because stylistically they're going to understand a lot of things. You know, um, that's hard to kind of explain to other people. People ask me, you know, caller called an image junkie radio. Why they try to make someone? Why Stephen Thompson have? Or why Jorge Monsfidal? They couldn't wrap their head around why him or other people just have such a hard time with Stephen Thompson in that style. And even someone like me, who I would like to think, since it's my job, does a decent job of explaining stuff. Especially the fact that I come from that background can do a decent job. But even me, it's hard to explain in certain senses. So I get it. It's not like a, a criticism. Like, you don't understand karate because you're not from it. Like... It's not like that at all. It's just, it's just, it's a different, it's a different terms of, of, of it's a, it's a, it's a different game. It really is, in a lot of ways. So, anyways, um, but yeah, um, Felder doing really well there, and I think that again, the Muay Thai, the strong, you know, how it transfers to counter wrestling and clinch game, I think that goes a long way here. Even though Oliver is crafty in the ways that it'll pull guard, and that alone can change terms. I get that. Doesn't matter how much takedown defense when you get to some of these crafty guard pulls that he does. I get that, but I think that Paul Felder is is is, is a good enough to, sh- to shut it down before it gets there uh, with his counter clinch and counter wrestling. But B, even if it gets there, I think he can stay safe. You know, as far as you know, he, he puts his hands inside the guard and he has really good hand fighting, which is why he's able to land those elbows and, and and stuff like that. We've seen him land recently, and and even in the brief glimpses. Granted, you know, sample sizes you want to say against guys like. Uh, you know, Darren Crookshank and whatnot, but uh, it doesn't matter who he was against. If you just look at the technique somebody does, can can, can say it says a lot. And I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that Felder's ground game is probably above what it is on paper. So he is the pick there. We're not going to do a break since that kind of was the break. I'm just going to push through right to the main card, to the second part of the piece, which is Tisha Torres, who is at minus 235 now. Uh, it, it went down it skyrocketed up to minus 255 which is listed on my article now it's come back down to a current as was this recording minus 235 favorite as she faces michelle waterson with a comeback currently listed at 
plus 195. I'm a fan of Watterson. I'm a fan that the UFC actually wants to get behind one of my Asian brothers or sisters. We don't really get that much media love or commercial pushes. So if they're going to give a commercial push when it went when the when the pendulum randomly just swung from Van Zant to Watterson and it's kind of scratching our heads and me too, but I didn't complain on that one, man. I'm not going to lie. That being said, doesn't get in the way of my analysis. I was surprised to see this line open so tightly. Again, the, you don't have to be exciting fighters. In fact, a lot of these fighters with negative narratives with not exciting styles, they're my favorite to bet because nobody is looking that way. And Tisha Torres has a lot of the things I like in a fighter to bet on. One, consistency, something you really can't find. and You have to hold on to like the damn life raft and the Titanic if you find it in this sport of MMA. But that consistency of if you're durable... Uh, can have serviceable wrestling and you're putting a decent strike volume or more than decent at 45 to 50 strikes per round as Tisha Torres does, that goes a fucking shit ton of a long way in a female division. I will say that. Um, it goes a shit ton of a way. And and, and and her records, her wins, the consistency of rounds that she's won, yes, there's been decisions, but the majority of those rounds she's won a lot of rounds to be winning consistently over a span of things in MMA, female MMA, where the sample sizes, as you hear on this show all the time, can be tricky. So it goes a long way for me. I mean, the, the Tisha Torres decision prop is almost like an auto bet for me at this point. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it didn't happen last time because her grappling has actually showed an emphasis since she's, since she's done a camp change. She's showing more of an emphasis to grapple, more, more of a... a more confidence in putting her hooks in than we saw it against Beck. She didn't get the finish, but she was trying harder and showing technical improvements more than she ever had before in the grappling department. She carries that over. It doesn't show that it was just for that fight. That trend carries through and her next full camp uh, when she faces, well, it wasn't even a full camp, but you know, she's, she, I should say she's permanently with at Denver at this point when she takes a short notice fight against Juliana Lima and same process but quicker off the single leg that's a sweet back take by the way um I I, I don't I've never gotten anything that beautiful much less a finish from it but I will say when somebody puts their their head on the wrong side of a single I, I have been able to hit uh, in sparring before and uh, back takes off of that you know whether against the fence or or it just depends on where um Actually, I'm picking a pro one of them, but uh, it just depends. It, it all depends on where they put their head to position, on where they're pressuring for their head inside single, and they go too far inside, uh, you know, uh, or too far on the outside, depending on on what kind of a takedown they're going for, how their body's angled off. You can actually take their back with a with a quick drag, um, with a quick drag, depending on if their arm or elbows in the way. So it it, it was that was beautiful to see. Um, and against Waterson, who gives her back, I and mean, you go read my breakdown before. Uh, her fight with Rose, you know, I cite that in her scrambles that she'll, you know, she's better at getting off of her back and creating scrambles, but the trade-off to that is that she'll go for an armbar to do so to create the scramble and do one of those back rolls where she'll roll over the back of her head to return to her base into a tripod position, which allows her back to be open for that vulnerable state of time where she's turtled and allows her to get her back taken. We saw that um, Rose got her back. And I don't know if that's going to be good here. Um, so, yeah, anyways, I'm on. I'm all on Torres here. Over is way too out, out of range anyways, like minus 330 or 
whatever the fuck ever. Next fight, Eddie Alvarez, plus 155. Justin Gaethje, minus 175. The line's about right. It should be that tight. I wanted to go with the underground king, the quintessential underdog, in my opinion, Eddie Alvarez, who I was on against Rafael Dos Anjos. And I'm not saying that I pat my back. I'm saying that because I may regret not being on Eddie here because he, especially people on the scene, or you look at interviews recently, um, I, I retweeted one with my man Robin Black doing one with Eddie, a sit-down, and Eddie has that feel about him like he did with that, that big fight weekend here in Vegas. He had that same feel about him that, that before that Dos Anjos fight. It's a good, it's that dog. It's that quiet dog that's just ready to come out. And I love when fighters are self-admitting about their issues. And Eddie was that. He called it to a T. He calls himself out on the counter fight. He calls himself out on the over game planning. He calls himself out on the over training and the miss preparation. Which, you know, that doesn't always mean everything. We've heard that time and time again. And I bet guys for these reasons. And I failed miserably because they went out and had the same things happen to them. Because history tends to repeat itself, right guys? So again, I'm not saying it's an end-all, be-all. Hell, I'm on, I'm on Gaethje here at the end of the day. But the point is, we shouldn't be surprised if Eddie Alvarez wins here. He has knockout power himself. Justin Gaethje uh, can get hurt on himself. Uh, you know, uh, when it comes to wrestling... Eddie Alvarez, I think he's only succeeded one takedown in the UFC and was able to get right back up. I mean, he he is the better defensive and, and offensive in the way of strategically using it uh, wrestler here. So if it does go long or he doesn't get knocked out or he does want to fight smart, then that probably actually isn't a bad thing here. I could see him, you know, if you got Eddie Alvarez in DraftKings, is that's why I actually, even though I picked Gaethje, I put Alvarez in, the, in my official DraftKings lineup because... Between takedowns, knockout, and strike output, he's the more experienced fighter should his chin hold up. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of insane. I don't blame anybody for not for picking, playing, or all the above Eddie Alvarez here. But, like I said in my breakdown, which is up on MMAJunkie.com, this is essentially as MMA's version of a high-speed chase. And um, I feel like Eddie Alvarez is the better driver, but at this point in history, at this particular point in history... I'm probably willing to lean that Justin Gaethje is the more reliable, durable car that can hit the turns better at this point. Um, this could be like the RDA fight where Alvarez, you know, makes Gaethje pay for his shelling propensities with the off-angled crosses around the guard or uppercuts under, right? Because the uppercuts and body shots are the traditional tropes of a shell guard, but you saw him with, as he called that, Andacana cross around the guard as well. He had two that he hit Dos Anjos with, but kind of feels more like Eddie, uh, Eddie Alvarez versus uh, Michael Chandler one to me, where he's got the pressure fighting bull he's in there with that's going to push him to the back of the fence. And um, between Alvarez's propensity to eat right hands and leg kicks, Justin Gaethje's specialty, it's tough, man. It's tough to pick him here. So Hart is with Eddie. The pick is Gaethje. I'll be cracking a beer and playing Fight Won't Start Round 3, as well as I played, by the way, I forgot to say, Felder Oliveira. I played both of those. Those are my two official props. They kind of seem chalky, but really for value and sharpness, I feel pretty good about these. Um, we'll see, obviously, like everything, but the, the picks are, as I wasn't too clear, I stammered there, but Felder Oliveira and Alvarez Gaethje, I'm playing that both those fights 
won't start round three. Felder Oliveira, Felder Oliveira won't start round three. We'll get you minus 145. I played that at one unit. Uh, I treated that like a straight play. It's well within that range, right? Minus 150 to minus 105 as far as a straight play favorite goes. Um, not that you can't straight play a dog, but you know what I'm saying as far as not too high where you're still getting value return. I don't feel too bad at leaving my pocket. Um, and then for Alvarez, Gaethje won't start round three, minus 134, which is kind of crazy. You're getting better odds for that. But really, they're both volatile matchups. I mean, you, you could look at the whole lightweight roster, and you'd be hard-pressed to make two more volatile matchups than that. I played them both for a unit. They also come in handy for hedging if you're on either side of those equations, seeing a lot of people on Oliveira or people like myself on Felder play the fight won't start around three. That could be a way of hedging if you're confident that these two savages are going to off each other. Uh, same with Alvarez Gaethje. Um, if you're on either side of that. So just some food for thought there. Next fight, uh, co-main event time, right? Oh, no, no, not co-main event. Uh, this fight not getting a lot of love because, like, look at I just made the mistake. I, I skipped it there. So Hudo versus Pettis. Again, I'll, I'll go read the in-depth. I don't want to go too into it here. Save some time. But uh, Pettis, I was actually originally on when they first booked this fight. But since then, that fight didn't happen. Cejudo had the hurt hand. Cejudo had a fight since then against Wilson Hayes. I know Wilson Hayes, uh, you know, not, not impressive on paper. Not a striker. You know, had, uh, so maybe, you know, you, we should temper it. But again, taking the opponent out of the equation, if you know what you're looking for, technically, those things can speak loudly. And they did. In fact, it swayed me to where I'm on Cejudo here. Um, I don't blame you for playing him. He seems like parlay piece material or price material as far as the style, dynamic, and price goes, but a little too high for me. And I still have a lot of respect for young Sergio Pettis, an excellent point fighter, better than his brother in my opinion. His pulls, his returns, even his wrestling has been improving, and his ground is really is, is really well too. Uh, his leg dexterity, grip fighting, hand fighting, something you know Dan Tom's real big on. Sergio puts it together. The problem is he's still showing questionable fight IQ as far as throwing kicks when he's not supposed to, getting taken down, putting him into situations to get taken down when he's not supposed to. And, uh, you know, that you know between that and taking a hard shot, which Cejudo is showing that he's gotten a grasp of, um, he has those things in spades. So even though, uh, like my angle for most Pettis fights is betting him by decision, I could actually see the judges, if this thing goes to the decision, swing towards Cejudo for the more meaningful shots and getting some takedowns along the way. So that's my read on that. Next one. All right, man, this is... I got a lot of good... Uh, a lot of good uh, feedback on this one, which means other worlds, especially feedback from from really people that I, I really, really respect um, that are actual, actual uh, established people or writers that, that were that, that gave me some good feedback on this one. So I appreciate it. That's uh, the write-up on Francis Ninganu versus over. And the reason why I appreciate that, not to humble brag or pat myself on the back because it's... Uh, it's easy. You hear Dan Tom get so stubborn and jaded and burnt the fuck out. And I probably should mail things in, but I don't, which is probably the reason why I'm stubborn, jaded, tired, and working to my deadline. Not because I'm procrastinating. It's because I'm not mailing things in like I probably should be. Um, that being said, it can be easy to, man. And even though I'm not mailing things in, it doesn't mean I'm the most excited for things lately. I haven't been. But every once in a while. Maybe not the matchup. Um... Because, you know, it is a compelling match. It is an interesting matchup. I'm not saying that. But every once in a while, something just clicks in an angle. And I just get really... and I get I go down a rabbit hole into writing. And and uh, this one just, just clicked. You know, I, Dan loves... I 
grew up watching boxing and grew up watching basketball. So, and I love since Dan Tom loves history in general as a subject in school and all that stuff. But um, when I love something, I have to go know the history of it. So I would go back and I I, I went and watched all the you know the classic Lakers versus Celtic games, all the classic stuff in basketball, right? That I missed that was before my time, and I, I did the same thing for boxing. And when this matchup was announced, just immediately reminded me of a documentary I saw. There's many, obviously, on, on, on Sonny Liston, especially with uh, Muhammad Ali and his tie-ins and that part of history and, and gambling. That's a whole other part of it. But um, just reminded me of the Sonny Liston uh, story, you know, and, and, and you know, uh, coming up through the ranks, knocking everybody out. And, you know, this guy, Floyd Patterson. And if you go actually look at who Floyd Patterson is, for those unaware, actually kind of looks like Alistair Overeem, which is kind of crazy. I mean, these guys actually resemble each other. Uh, which is really creepy about it too, but the dynamic of the styles and the story more so. So three different levels there; it all kind of fit. So I kind of do a nice tie in there. So um, comparing their their story, it's very similar, spookily. We'll see though. Maybe not uh, the, the outcome, right? It all it all means on the outcome. But for, for the MMA, I don't know who who the fuck knows what the outcome is going to be, right? But as far as the setup. As far as the outcome, though, I mean, again, the pick is Ninganu, but don't get me wrong here. I'm not, uh, oh, Ninganu, yeah, the, the big dick. By the way, can we take a minute to appreciate the size of the potential size of this man's hog? My goodness, that picture of him, Ninganu, and Mighty Mouse, oh my goodness. Guy, I could just hear guys' girlfriends across the, 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 the world just leaving them immediately. That thing was just, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I know it's very immature of me. Dan Tommy doesn't get into this. But I'm sorry. I had to take a moment to appreciate that the man's got a piece on him, all right? And um, I, I will leave that to, 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 to uh, my man Wesley Coven there in the MMA analysis, the place for hog analysis. They are the masters of that shit. I'll leave that to them. You go listen to them for that. But I had to, I had to pay my respects. I'm sorry. I had to pay my respects. Moving forward. Jesus, Dan, really? We're bringing that podcast to this fucking level. You wonder you're not going to get any fucking sponsors. All right, moving forward. I wouldn't be surprised if Overeem won this fight. He's the more, again, it's like the Alvarez won. He's the he's more ways to win. He's the more experienced fighter. He's the more proven product against more proven opposition. You can crush him with a liver kick. You can hit him with a counter cross. And Ninganu, who shows to turtle and just kind of athletic power up back to his feet, well, you, you turtle up. I always talk about back takes. A little less common in the heavyweight division to find a back taker, sure. But turtling or tripoding leads to front headlocks. And front headlocks, well, those lead to guillotines. Who is a really good guillotine? Well, I think Alistair Overeem is one of, the, one of the better guillotines in the division. So, um... So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of ways to over even win the fight. So I think for anybody to be confident on either side is is, is pretty silly in this one. Um, the odds are fortressed up and padded for, you know, fights won't see round three, fights won't go the distance. I, I left it alone. But I did take Alistair Overeem for that reason. He makes a very valuable, for the low price of 7100 makes a very valuable uh, DraftKings uh pick there so i went with him for the me and jordan's but also as well as mine which i'll recap and i'm referencing to uh for the mma junkie breakdown article all right main event time max holloway versus jose aldo um i won't get into this one too much because the matchup just happened it's the same dynamic and again not to pat myself on the back here but your boy's breakdown was pretty pretty damn spot on the first time around so um i tried to Reward it much better, incorporating the recent matchup, the adjustments Aldo could possibly make to give a different twang to my article, 
which hopefully you go check. Thank you for those of you who shared it, who shared any of these things, really. It means so much to me, uh, from the like, to the retweet, to the kind word, to the share, to the de- whatever uh, variation of sharing or support. It does not go unnoticed, and it is very appreciated. So seriously, guys, fucking thank you. Um, so I'm not going to go too much into it. I really suggest you check it out. But currently the line is Aldo plus 245, uh, Holloway minus 290. I get it. I, 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 I get it climbing there, staying there, and I'm surprised. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see it go a little higher. Um, I play Holloway round three pl- f- plus 575 and played him inside the distance at like minus 120 or some shit like that, I think. I got it for. And that was it. I just left it alone. Um, I don't know where that is. I don't know, um, but I'm almost done. Whoever it is, uh, yeah, I got I got Holloway here. I actually think it gets done done around the same time. Uh, we'll see though. I mean, if, if if Aldo wins, can you really be surprised? They have the weigh-ins. Max looked a little bit drawn. I mean, he's big for the weight class. He's a growing boy. I'm not surprised for it. But he was in spirits. You know, he just looked physically drawn. He didn't look like spiritually. Aldo looked fucking spiritually like was taking a break. It looked ugly. Ugh. Anyways. That scene. All right. Fights to avoid. Recap. Willis Crowder, Oliveira Medeiros, Hamasi Al-Hassan, Close Timor, Straight Play, Paul Felder, Props, Felder, Oliveira, Alvarez, Gaethje. Both those won't go the distance for one unit. Uh, one, minus 145 for Felder, Oliveira. Minus 134 for the Alvarez, Gaethje. Won't go round three. Parlay, minus 255. Torres, straight up. money line and the over. Harry Casey, over two and a half. Minus 225. The value has kind of adjusted a little bit north and a little bit south, but you could still get it for better than what I have it for. And for what I have it for, if you pair those, get you plus 101 anyways. So for what that's worth, maybe you add in a uh, inflated Derek Dominic Reyes there, probably get you to plus 126, plus one range or something like that. I don't know. Um, I'm not doing good with the math off the top of my head. Uh, iTunes, Amazon, on it. Thank you guys for doing those. I'm not going to waste time in reading what was bought, clicked through, but pl- but. Thank you so much, really. It, it doesn't cost you any extra, and it means the world. Even just giving an iTunes review, that ser- or you know, five-star click, that means so much, seriously. Thank you all. Um, Shout-out to JBL Lee and Junkie, Junkie Nation. Uh, the, uh, George and Goes are back out there. I uh, wish I was out there with them. They're out there with uh, James Vick, Uriah Faber, and Jens Pulver, who I saw on FaceTime last night. We did a cheers. That's kind of weird. Meet one of your uh, one of your favorite fighters of all time. You grew up watching. And you're like, oh hey, there's this guy on Facetime. Hey, nice to meet you. Want to do a cheers? Another story for another time. But uh, they're out there and, and they show me some love with the Facetime, which was really nice. And uh, got some other really nice messages, which I don't want to further name drop. Which by the way, I'm not. I don't try to name drop on this show. I just. But if it is relevant, my thinking is that well, maybe you know, if it's relevant or whatever, it it adds character of the show maybe little tidbits you know it's not I'm, I'm not a drama type person nor is anything i ever say in a drama type thing so it's usually never in a negative it's usually something funny anecdotal so it, it, i'm trying to share in those spirits so i apologize i don't mean to, to, to name drop or anything so i'm going to refrain from saying the names who who recently followed and, and, and messaged me but let's just say one of my favorite um uh Got some follows from my favorite play-by-play commentators and got a, got a really encouraging message from one of them that just fucking blew me away. It really just made me stop and remind me, like, oh, Dan, you're 
you think your heart's going to stop and you're going crazy. <laughs> you're going to drop dead any time now from all this, but it's a fucking wild ride, man. I'm fucking loving this, man. It's, it's, you, you would have told me like in 2006 that, you know, I would be breaking down an Alistair Overeem fight or, you know, whatever, and a Jose Aldo fight and that, so-and-so would be reading it and, and messaging me saying, hey, you know, da, da, da. I would tell you you're a fucking crackhead. What are you talking about? And uh, the fact that even just not even, again, it doesn't even fucking matter if it's anybody of note. Um, just just an average Joe reaching out and saying they took the time to read Great Break. Like, I'm just, I'm weird. I'm weird, man. I really am. Like, I'm not, this isn't hyperbole. Like, I was the kid who the, the couple break, the couple birthdays I had that were a normal birthday like, I just hated the fucking getting the birthday sung to you. I just, I can put myself right there going, why is everybody here smiling, looking, I don't deserve this. Why are people my friends? This doesn't make sense. This is just the day I was born. I'm not special. This is stupid. Like, this is, con this is how contrarian and fucked up Dan Palm's wiring is. So, when I say this blows me away, it genuinely blows me away. And I'm awkward and I don't express myself the best but believe me I'm fucking grateful for it I'm so grateful I'm not going to waste any more of your time than I already have thank you if you're crazy and you listen to it in the 22 to 24 to 25 hour content window that this is even good for fuck you guys are superstars man thank you I'm going to get the fuck out of here and um, edit this and uh, yeah until next time protect your motherfucking necks